Welcome back everybody to the 82nd episode of the Desi VC podcast. This is your host Akash Pat and each week I bring you leading investors and operators investing and building companies in the diverse tech landscape of India. Today with me is a very special guest in Chaitanya Ramlinge Gowda, the co-founder of Wakefit, India's leading direct-to-consumer mattress and sleep solutions company. Chaitanya brings over 19 years of experience spanning entrepreneurship, management consulting and marketing across companies such as IBM, Cognizant, Zinov Consulting, Your Story and Let's Venture. Chaitanya and I took a walk down memory lane and talked about the early days of Wakefit and uncovered stories and anecdotes on which the company was built. In what I'm so happy to share with you all was a fantastic conversation. So without further ado, Here's one of India's finest entrepreneurs talking about building a profitable business and the roads that led him to it. Chaitanya, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here on the podcast today. I have been looking forward to this conversation ever since uh, there was a possibility of hosting you here. and i'm looking forward to speaking over the next 45 50 minutes and hearing more about the wakefit story but before all that welcome and how are you doing likewise akash thanks for having me i have listened to some episodes of this podcast i'm an avid podcast listener while i'm driving and bangalore gives you ample opportunity for that yeah but yeah, uh, great job and uh, i i learn with every episode and i hope to share some of my learnings here very kind of you and i'm really looking forward to this conversation because while you're in the business of consumer technology and lifestyle e-commerce i personally believe that you're in the business of sleep and as dr matthew walker one of my favorite scientists and expert on sleep research would say that many yeah. people today are more chronically sleep deprived than they realize and the punishments of this are like severe including reduced productivity happiness and increased risk of a panel of diseases so one of the questions that i often find people asking me and something that i've asked myself over the years too is how do you get ideas you know and i'm very curious to find out how wake fit came into being i've heard the story i've read about it but some of our listeners may not have had an idea as to how all of this kind of came together and it'd be fantastic if you could take them through the little things that led to the forming of your company sure akash i think the little things were a long time in the making uh i think a lot of the origin and how we have run wake fit <clears throat> has to do with how our lives before wake fit were uh, both me and my co-founder ankit yeah very different backgrounds about 9 years of age gap uh, he's about he's 9 years younger but the main thing is that there were a lot of commonalities in terms of how we had grown up and what we had seen before we ended up meeting mm-hmm. number 1 both of us were uh, very middle class uh, in how we had been raised Mm-hmm. you make a lot of compromises as a middle class family uh, throughout your childhood you've seen your parents struggle uh, get everything uh, done and ensure that you have a comfortable life and a good education second thing was we both had good education good pedigree but we had left our respective jobs to try something uh, in the startup space i had done two consumer internet startups and ankit had done one b2b foam startup because he is a chemical engineer and he understood foaming very very well mm-hmm. um and my two startups hadn't gone anywhere uh, and after angel rounds couldn't get to series a shut it down um, heartbreaking decision at that point in time 
um, and I can clearly relive those days and shut them down, got the team jobs. And then I joined a Sequoia funded startup. And that's where I met Ankit who had wrapped up his B2B forming startup. Yeah. And he had raised Angel, couldn't get to Series A. He had shut down, sold off the machinery and joined the same company. Uh, and I was VP operations there and he was in the process excellence team. We both bonded, uh, but at the same time, we saw a couple of things. First was that, remember this is 2015 when everybody was saying, we want to be the Uber of X. We want to be asset light platform business and startups were burning through money to get to the next milestone. We've seen very, very up close and personal where startups would raise hundreds of crores burn through that in six to nine months in the hopes of getting to that magical milestone that would get them funded. So the thought process was not about business sustainability, but on getting funded. So when you marry the two things, which is tried a startup, seen really hard days for many, many months and years, and then you come into this environment where there's abundance of capital, but it was being used to chase valuation milestones and funding milestones rather than business product market fit. When you marry the two and juxtapose them, you realize how we have been shaped. Uh, and when at this point in time, Ankit had this idea that we could probably do mattresses uh, uh, in an affordable manner and try the D2C model right. and have come out of three failed startups. Our thought process was, it's okay. The success of this startup is going to be defined as first taking 1% salary to second, taking two people's salary and third, just surviving. Mm -hmm. Imagine we had shut down three startups and we yeah. knew how tough it was. So when you married all of these things and this idea came about, we just said, let's start and let's have the humility to say, let us be led by consumers and just see where it goes. So yeah. very, very, very honestly, no grand ambitions, no visionary statements. First order of day was survival and paying two people's salary. Right. That's a fascinating story. And I have way too many questions that are right now sitting in my head. But one of the things that really stands out to me is a very subtle line that you put in there, which is you got your employees jobs. I've heard you say that on a couple of podcasts as well. And this is extremely commendable. And I'm curious as to why this was important for you to do as a founder, because there's a great lesson in company building and culture hidden in that. So I'm curious as to why you did that and what founders today building companies can actually take away from that story, um, especially as they're building their companies out. I think, thank you for pointing it out, but I think that line comes out unconsciously because no matter what happened to those two startups, I think today I'm, uh, my conscience is free because I did my best to get those people who had suffered with me, yeah. try to build a startup. I didn't just say, hey, here's your severance, uh, take this money and go. Or yeah. no, I'm giving you 30 days notice, so go. Yeah. Uh, all of them had worked for a long time. All of them had worked on below market salaries. All of them had sacrificed side by side. And they were as much part of the founding team as I was. Mm -hmm. I just had the title of co-founder and CEO. Right. Uh, so that, I think no matter what happened to the company, I am I'm free in my mind because I did that one small thing. Yeah. And more importantly, it's the long game. You won't believe it. Three of those people from the team are still in touch and two mm -hmm. of them are good fit with me. I'm not surprised. So they, I mean, when we, when we needed those people, I just reached out and they quit their jobs and joined back. Yeah. 
and they are still there and part of the teams in whatever they are good at yeah and that fact and the same thing holds in uh, in weight fit we when covid hit us we did not lay off one person in wave 1 and in wave 2 wow because every single person in uh, vaccination in in the wave 1 when vaccinations were 1800 2000 rupees per person we paid some 60 lakhs to get it done mm-hmm. because these are the relationships that are going to be permanent valuation right. temporary these are the relationships that are permanent so i believe that i think we've always thought like that and maybe i'm actually being uh, extremely preemptive here by saying this but i think that already is the highlight of this episode where you mentioned that valuations is temporary but relationships are permanent i think it goes to show that today like when you're building companies while there's a lot of noise around you and you know it's easy to get caught up in the hype cycles that the media puts you through it's also extremely important to believe and know why you're doing it and those who come part who become part of that journey as you build companies out and i think you you know pointed it up pointed that out clearly and that goes to show that you know there's a lot of loyalty amongst employees that's great lessons in culture building and that is something that i believe a lot of companies today are struggling with is having that own personal sense of identity and that stems from the founders that goes through the spine of the company and that's one of the reasons why the people quit or people stay and my ex boss used to have this fantastic line and he used to always tell me this and i'm and i've now and i copy that wherever i go and i try to incorporate that he says your success is down to you and your failure is down to me mm-hmm. and he incorporated that as part of the culture every single day and he would so, always back you up he would always make sure that the if there was if if things didn't go good on well he would take it down on himself that is just a small example of what the company culture could turn out to be and goes to show that this example that you did in your previous company is also reasons why people would want to come and join you that's why people stay even if you know the pay is slightly lesser people know that there's you're working with good people and people quit people at the end of the day people don't quit jobs that's that's so something true. that i tr- that that i truly believe so um thanks for sharing that lesson that was really interesting and uh, i'm curious to go back to some of the initial set of uh, story that you share shared um how did you go about validating the thesis that you all had you know you and ankit um stumbled upon mattresses perhaps this was also a time when nobody in the country was thinking about purchasing uh, mattresses online you know our listeners are also budding entrepreneurs and may someday want to go out and start their own companies so how would you describe your experience from having that idea to validating it to scaling the company and what were those aha moments that kept occurring along the path that kept telling you that hey you're on the right journey here it could have been the first crore that you made on sales you know the first vc firm reaching out to you or the day that you are turned profitable like what were those things that happened that kind of kept giving you a lot of motivation to keep going at it every single day sure akash a few inflection points come to my mind uh, uh, and surprisingly not, not even one of them is revenue based uh, uh, i'll tell you some very very interesting things the very first time we got an order uh, we listed on amazon we didn't even have a website back then uh and uh, we just listed a product and uh, zero reviews unknown brand yeah fairly expensive by today's standards uh, where we have brought down the prices now uh, fairly expensive and this customer places the order we had no clue why this person had placed the order it was we didn't even know if it was a male or a female uh, 
Mm-hmm. So we called the person and it turned out to be a man. And we said, uh, honestly, we are from the founding team. We didn't say we are the founders, we're the founding team. Uh, we started listed, uh, listing this. And uh, these are the factors that are out there. No brand, no reviews. Yeah. Uh, and why did you choose us? And why did you buy? He said, uh, I just returned from the US recently. Mm-hmm. And you may not know, the in the US, this mattress is uh, being sold online has recently started in the last few months. I tried it there and uh, I thought I can be an early adopter because I needed to set up my home here uh, now mm-hmm. that I've come back to the US. So that very clearly told us that there is a segment of early adopters which is looking for this convenience uh, of being delivered at home yeah. without them having to step out of their home and they can try it in the privacy of their homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second inflection point was when we decided to set up our first factory, uh, we could have very well been uh, asset light and said, we'll be the Uber of mattress or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but we said, uh, we need a little bit more control on the costing. We need a little bit more control on the innovation speed because all the existing great manufacturing facilities are owned by existing brands, right. which are direct competitors. Mm-hmm. So we said, let's try it out and put up a small unit. And there we realized that... Uh, the learnings of running a manufacturing unit were very, very, very different from what we had any experienced in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, our first factory was in the third floor. So the FedEx guy who used to come to pick up the mattresses would cry every single day because yeah. pickups would get delayed. Right. Every other pickup would get delayed. So we figured out a pulley system to roll down the mattresses from the third floor and load it directly into the uh, truck. The vans, yeah. And we used to give him uh, coffee, tea, and uh, parleji every evening. So that, hey, you, you chill, we will load it. Huh. Uh, uh, one day, the workers uh, saw a snake outside the shed. And they just said, uh, no, it's inauspicious. So next second shift, we are not working at all today. So okay. you should believe the kind <laughs> of things that we see by running a manufacturing setup. But we don't regret for a day because that has what has become uh, the moat as we are now uh, this larger company. So that journey of learning manufacturing every single day and scaling it up to about seven factories and 23 warehouses today is because of that. Yeah. The third inflection point, if I have to recollect, is uh, there was this uh, uh, gentleman in his late 70s. He suddenly turned up at our office one day. Okay. And uh, he came and said, I'm coming from Banaswadi uh, in Bangalore. And our office is in Koramangala. And I've taken two buses. I saw these ads and a lot of my family members were talking about it. So I went ahead and placed the order. But after I placed it, I got scared whether it's a genuine company or not. Okay. So I found their contact as address and then came down to see whether it's a genuine company. So we gave this gentleman water, coffee, tea, put him back on an auto, sent him home and said, this is our personal number. Please take it. It is a genuine company. We've served lakhs of customers. Please don't worry. If anything is there, kindly reach out to us. You don't have to travel here. Right. So that showed us that across ages, people are willing to try out things. Right. As as we give them that trust and stay true to our promise. Yeah. The last inflection point that comes to my mind is uh, we started, we were one of the pioneers of the 30-day trial, which we later extended to 100-day trial policy in mattresses. Okay. Back then, we were bootstrapped. The first three years of our existence were bootstrapped. We had no VC investor. So, and we had read in the papers that apparel industry has return rates of 25-30%. So we said this is a great growth 
tactic. It's almost equal to the COD moment for e-commerce in India, cash on delivery. Uh, can we try it? But as a bootstrap company, if return rates are similar to apparel industry, we are screwed. We really have to shut down the company. It's that bad if it's 30% returns. So then we had a lot of sleepless nights when we launched this feature. But Touchwood, it just so happened that customers continued to love the product, continued to love the quality, and our return rates are somewhere around 3%. Wow. So it was a risk that as a bootstrap founder, we we were really scared of yeah. but it picked up in the long run. Uh, I think these four were inflection points which showed us that steadily orders were increasing. Trust in the brand was increasing. People yeah. across age groups and cities were willing to try. Yeah. And lastly, if you keep your promises, people will keep coming back to you. Right. Simple, simple inflection points that gave us confidence. Now, this is fantastic. The four inflection points that you mentioned really highlights how it kind of gave you that motivation to keep going at it every single day at different points as the company scaled. I'm also curious to understand what the early days looked like because some of the learnings that you were getting from your users kind of gave you perhaps insights into the industry that you may never have even thought about. It is probably for the first time that you were trying to figure out, you know, a pulley system that needs to be installed at your manufacturing facility as opposed to maybe something else that your customer success team or you are trying to put out fires yourself or reinstating that level of faith and trust in a 78-year-old man coming to the office. So outside of these, how easy or difficult is it to scale values, trust, loyalty as the company scales? Because in the early days when you're lean, when you're you know trying to build that brand, you go out of your way to ensure that you're able to like do that for your customers. But as the company scales, it gets big, um, and there's that pressure of, you know, now that there's VC money that's coming, there's a pressure of like growth. How do you ensure that these are not compromised while everything else needs to move maybe at 10x or 100x the speed, uh, if not more? Very interesting question. When I think about it, <clears throat> I think initial days, both Ankit would field calls personally, mm -hmm. would be the one sitting behind uh, the rest questions that were being answered on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, I would be the person responding and answering. I actually had texting thumb because I was just typing so much <laughs> between every meeting, between every meal I was typing and Ankit was fielding calls. Yeah. I was calling angry, irate customers because our product was three days late. Yeah. So we really knew as a small team of 10 people, five people, we really knew the pain of every single customer. Yeah. And even, even when we were just about 150, 200 people, it was still possible to retain this tribe-like feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, every one of the people was known to us. Mm. We knew what was going on in their life, uh, what mm. was bothering them, what customer pain point was there. Is anybody getting married there? Uh, is anybody having a child there? That kind of a connect, right? Where everybody is so geared up towards the one single vision of the company. Mm -hmm. But now as we are 1,500 people full-time and 2,500 people contract spread wow. across 24 cities, yeah. uh, uh, showrooms, warehouses, factories, it yeah. becomes harder and harder and harder to say that how do you ensure that the same vision, vision and the same goal is what everybody is pulling towards. So one of the things that we have hit upon is uh, what we call as rituals. Uh, 
even to this day i am on the wake fit escalation whatsapp group and slack group even to this day when somebody tags me on uh, twitter or on linkedin or on facebook i ensure that i save that i respond to the customer saying i'm getting back to you and then chase that into this group find the root cause fix it and ensure that i trace it all the way to the customer's delivery and then the root cause sometimes is production mistake root cause sometimes is quality check sometimes you have made a wrong promise on the website because the promise delivery date logic was not correct for whatever reason you every single customer pain point becomes a uh, becomes a root cause that you find and solve but more importantly this ritual shows that we as a company have not become that entity where we say the escalation rate has reduced from 1.6% to 1.3% so i'm okay even today we as a company talk about customer harish we talk about customer akash we talk about customer gayatri and say that this is the pain point that they had to endure this is they had ordered for their aged parents who were visiting bangalore we were late uh, we ordered they were ordering for their kid who had had an accident Mm-hmm. and we ended up delivering a faulty product right so when a company becomes percentage driven in how they measure metrics and improve rather than look at a customer's pain point and live that mm-hmm. that's where we are in for trouble mm-hmm. so if you have to cut through all the bureaucracy and say that even at this size i want to be able to focus on every single customer's pain point yeah. the best way these rituals which show that top down we are committed to each customer's pain point yeah can we solve that and we won't get happy by saying we brought down some percentage number where every customer is just an order id right it's not an order id it's a person mm-hmm. with problems with real job with constraints it's a person mm-hmm. so i think that has probably helped us that even to this day when something is going wrong and i'm chasing something at 11 pm people i don't tell them to go respond yeah they do it on their own because they see it as a pain point Mm. last last ditch effort they find a porter uh, they rent a porter vehicle and deliver it to ensure that it is reaching at the promised uh, time time period mm. so i don't ask them to do it the team does it because they see this pain point right so for us i think that that has enabled us to retain this thought process and i think it also goes to show i mean your humility for sure because i think in the early days of wakefit this is something that you guys did yourselves and i believe that whatever the culture is today is you know compounded over time and uh, i'm sure you guys did this very earlier on the first few employees who came in did, did this earlier on and then you know customer success team which for the first employee that came on had this part of their personality because i personally believe that customer success are so important uh, especially in any company be it b2c or b2b and more probably the very underrated uh um, hidden away people who do the dirty job every single day but what they do is extremely extremely critical and important and to give an example right box it's a 2 billion dollar valued company making 1 billion dollars in sales and there is somebody sitting there at box selling a 100 million dollar contract to people at google and google has google drive so mm. somebody is doing an amazing job of retaining people at google and that just yeah. goes to show that great relationship management as well as customer success can go on to like drive 1/10th the revenue in the case of box but then a significant amount of money for any company 
And if somebody needs to do a little bit of deep dive as to why customer success is important, I would say take that case study and just read it up as much as possible because you will understand what Box is doing, which is still archaic. The product has not evolved in the last few years, and yet their customer success teams are the best teams in at least B2B enterprise that I know here in the US in the cloud storage space. Um, so that's an example, right? And you guys have done a fantastic job based on um, what I'm what I'm hearing as well. And uh, I, I, you know, one thought that came to my mind: we might not be a box selling to Google, but that triggered one memory. There was this uh, gentleman who called us and said, uh, "My, I love my dog, and my dog is now thirteen years old, and the doctors are basically saying that he's very, very ill, and uh, I've never bought a mattress online, right. and so." I, and I don't want to risk it, but I want to buy a nice mattress for my dog, who's my been dog. my partner for 13 years. He's not going to last for a few more months. Uh, can you help with any recommendations? So our sales team helped, uh, chose the nice orthopedic memory foam, pressure relieving and all that. So please try this. And we also said that, uh, unfortunately, because a dog might have scratched the mattress and so forth, the return policy may not be able to apply to you, sir. Um, but we are happy to help in any way possible. Do let us know. And he said, okay, thank you. And we ensured the delivery happened very quickly. You won't believe it. Nine months later, he called, asked for the same salesperson, spoke to him and said, my dog died last month. But you guys, what you did uh, helped me uh, to put give him comfort for the last eight months. It really touched me. Now I'm ready to try your product for myself. Wow. <laughs> so such a small thing. But he came back nine months later and thanked us. It, Unbelievable that was. And I don't know if you realize what you're doing by sharing some of these stories is you're inspiring a generation of founders who one can relate and want to go through this experience because they have either been consumers, like we've all been consumers in our life, right? But we have very few of us have had this sort of an experience with a brand. And once it becomes personal and a brand goes out of its way to, to ensure something like this, which on the on the outset, doesn't seem significant. Like this salesperson in your team didn't have to do it. Probably just could have thought about this, just another person who buys something for a dog, not a big deal, let it go, another customer. But then this person went above and beyond. Maybe this person had a dog or not, but different story. But even if they didn't, like crafting this and going out of their way and you know ensuring that you know nine months down the line, you have somebody else you know who bought it for their dog coming and wanting to buy it, try it for themselves, just goes to show um, you know that this journey is extremely fulfilling and these little stories along the way make it worthwhile. Make that yeah. founder journey, you know, you've been through a lot of challenges with your previous companies, obviously not taking off the ground and with the early days of bootstrapping this and bringing this to life, all these little stories when you look back make it seem so worthwhile and makes those challenges that you faced um, seem almost insignificant though they are significant in history and in time. Oh. They've taught you oh. a lot. But these are the stories that actually inspire like the next generation of listeners, founders who are going through this journey. And speaking of bootstrapping, I, I was really curious about uh, why you decided to um, stay bootstrapped when you started the company, because both you and Ankit could have gone out and raised VC money. Because when you started the firm, it was also that first boom cycle in India where everybody was raising money that between that 2014 to like 16, 17 period. Every startup in India was raising money. You had Tiger Global, Sequoia, and SoftBank who were the three dominant investors who at that point, if I'm not wrong, collectively had funded $1.4 billion in, in, in VC funding in the country. So they'd actually put money 
and they had decided at that point to really double down on the indian story but you decided to stay um, bootstrap did your experience as a founder before and since at let's say let's venture and your story have anything to do with it that given you had lot more insight into what was happening on ground or was it just you know you just felt that you could do this on your own and you bootstrapped and then eventually just decided that hey this is working why don't why don't we just go with this what was the story there we were bootstrapped for about 3 years there's phase 1 and phase 2 phase 1 is 2 years phase 2 is 1 year okay the first 2 years we actually didn't raise we said we are profitable we are growing steadily put our heads down and execute we have seen too many companies just chasing vc funding for the wrong reasons i mm-hmm. told you yeah. we were in companies and we saw companies up close yeah so said, that's not something we want to go this is working let's just put our heads down and execute okay after 2 years we did want to raise but nobody would want to invest in us mm so for the next one year which is but year 3 wh- why was that though like was it because the markets had slowed down because after 2017 a lot of people looked at it and said hey there's no growth investor here because the the, the three guys that i mentioned the the three funds tiger sequoia and softbank had paused investments in the country so did they feel that the growth story would be hampered or was it just that people did not think matrices would would scale online it was the latter okay they think that there was depth in the market Mm. they think that it could become a meaningful outcome and okay. everybody kept saying that hey we'll good business you have built seems profitable uh, very nice but we'll meet in 6 months okay uh, so uh, in fact sequoia also turned us down mm-hmm. uh, but finally sequoia was the one that uh, took the bet and uh, invested in series a mm-hmm. after a year and sequoia was investor number 43 and mm-hmm. current my investment investment tracker is running at some 115 or 120 investors that i've met mm-hmm. uh, for these three rounds that i've completed so it it's always a struggle especially because this is an industry where we haven't had large successful private companies uh, and growing at this pace right uh, either we've had traditional companies and focused only on one category same address yeah. or say furniture we yeah. are a weird company that is doing mattress also furniture also home decor also yeah. and doing and being d2c where companies come back and actually tell us honestly saying how do i diligence you who do i compare you with yeah. so for the vc it's very easy to push the case as long as you have a lens to look at the company through yeah. and say that the comparable is this so yeah. i will behave like this so i will break up and value you like this right when you don't have that especially in india they struggle to find the depth in the market or convince themselves that the outcome can be large enough okay so that But was the case couldn't they have traditionally treated you as an e-commerce setup because yes at that point we we didn't have the um i don't even think we had any probably public companies coming out of this space here in the us um in that space you probably have had a couple of them in the last 5 6 years couldn't they have just compared you to a regular e-commerce um company which is which is taking care of everything on with technology on the front end logistics on the back end optimizing your data and ai and insights wasn't that enough for it or was it still the fact that they're still focusing on what you are selling more than the infrastructure you're right we were looked at as a vertical e-commerce company yeah and not comparable to a horizontal e-commerce company and even yeah. in vertical e-commerce our three business lines have very different unit economics right mattress operates on one furniture operates on one and accessories operates on one and all mm-hmm. three the gross margins are different material margins are different and contribution margins are different 
right because they are very different in how they operate mm-hmm. uh, hardwood for example starts with an amazingly high material margin um, and ends up with a decent ebitda margin mm-hmm. while mattresses starts with a slightly lower gross margin but ends up with a higher ebitda margin so mm-hmm. each of them comes with a different dynamic so they are not able to figure out who to compare and when mm-hmm. you looked at vertical e-commerce wayfair is doing well in the us yeah there's, there's a few chinese and korean companies that are doing pretty well but they were definitely not comparing us to say a casper or a tough ten needle in mattress or some other furniture player in some other country they were mm-hmm. trying to find the right comparable so so that, that was the initial a- struggle yeah i i i've 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 noticed that issue with a couple of companies uh, which have you know which 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 are born with breakout categories and which have you know that horizontal play but then you're not really sure which is the core business model because you have the horizontal play playing out really really well and they're still thinking of you and classifying you um uh, vertically now i'm 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 also curious to understand um you know as the company has scaled over the last 7 uh, odd years what have been the biggest learnings that you've had <clears throat> a few points come to my mind akash uh, last financial year we did somewhere around 640 crore in revenue mm-hmm. uh, this year we are chasing a goal of 1000 crore mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean anything if certain things are broken mm-hmm. uh, the things that come to my mind are number one in direct to consumer when you don't have infinite budget or resources a thin wedge of a product which is a hero product really does the job of earning the trust and generating word of mouth mm-hmm. a small day to see company you do not have the resources to say i will build 20 best seller products mm-hmm. that first one one and a half years is very very crucial where you need to find that thin wedge to enter the consumer's home right it is a kickass product uh, at amazing specification amazing price and amazing uh, value for money Mm-hmm. and then they start trusting you mm-hmm. second point that comes to my mind is to make simple promises and keep them uh actually simple public promises and keep them mm-hmm. is that because you can also stay accountable to it yourself correct you cannot have hidden tnc like a large traditional incumbent right you cannot have complex mathematics to say how much money you will get as a refund yeah. nothing Yeah. So we clean, simple, public promise, and then you stick to it. Mm-hmm. We are very comfortable with having customers who say, "Hey, I did not like this mattress. I did not like this sofa. Mm-hmm. I did not like this recliner, and I returned it." But mm-hmm. we are very deeply uncomfortable with having a customer say that these people did not refund my money. Mm-hmm. They they said that they will honor a reverse pickup. They did not. Yeah. The re- policy is a sham we cannot have one person saying that because it damages your trust right the third thing that comes to my mind is that people think e-commerce is all about product yeah. but in a in a product category which is non standardized service is equally important just selling a product and washing your hands of that customer is not going to get you growth agreed Uh, and no amount of marketing is going to overcome that yeah the ultimate cac reduction strategy is word of mouth mm. if you are and today about 40% of our monthly transactions come from repeat customers mm-hmm. and investors are amazed at that number because they didn't expect that in a vertical e-commerce company right <clears throat> so i i think if that wouldn't have happened 
that's not happening because we are doing amazing marketing mm-hmm. alone it's happening because whatever they bought they loved it whatever we called and understood their feedback lessons takeaways we implemented it and hence their trust and come back to us mm-hmm. so i i think these three things come to my mind um having a thin wedge to enter the customers home because you don't have infinite resources doing mm-hmm. an amazing job second is making simple public promises and sticking to them and thirdly focusing on the service as much as the product i think these are three fantastic points that you mentioned and i completely agree with you on all of them especially the last one and uh, we touched upon it briefly with a couple of examples but i do believe that especially for consumer brands today if your service is is not up to standards forget about even going up and beyond because compa- your comparison is never going to be somebody who's an incumbent in your industry it's going to be the best consumer experience that this person has had period no matter which category it's in so you could have an apple experience but people will still expect to a similar sort of an experience every time they walk in to something that they perceive to be as you know lifestyle when it comes to their own purchasing um, category so you will be compared to the whole category in some cases and most cases you'll be compared to just the experience that somebody has had and that itself goes to show that you know you can be an you can be a category leader but are you an industry leader that really defines service as well so i think you rightly mentioned that and since we were talking about you know apple one thing just came into my head is that um, you know you previously mentioned that you have also set up offline stores and you've now you know built in that offline experience do you think to in today's market in india that every e-commerce and brand at some point will need to have an offline presence and we've seen that from back in the day with lenskart starting on uh, online and then moving offline boat mama earth recently um, as recent as last week had their first uh, you know in in person physical store open how and when and why do brands tap into the offline experience especially in india and is that necessary we personally believe that it's absolutely necessary mm-hmm. uh, one data point that comes to my mind is i don't know if you saw toby's uh, shopify ceo's uh, layoff memo that mm-hmm. he sent out last week yeah there was a chart there which talked about how during the pandemic the e-commerce growth rate in the us a developed market like us had skyrocketed yeah. and then once the pandemic had reduced it's come back to the old same curve that was there uh, that uh, that was always existed for many many years uh, so it's come back to that level and a company like shopify would have had to lay off uh, uh, employees mm-hmm. and that was one reason that comes to my mind but more importantly in a category like ours which is non standardized and high ticket size we believe that customers still want to figure out how it fits into the rest of the architecture of their home mm-hmm. it's not just about color it's not just about a uh, type of wood it's not about the grain it's not about anything else it has to match up with the expression self expression of themselves which is the home mm-hmm. uh, so there despite everything that we've done uh, in educating the consumers buying the online having a no questions asked return policy there's still a segment of consumers which want this physical touch point however our journey has been slightly different we never convinced ourselves to put up offline centers when we were a pure sleep company mm-hmm. only once we have expanded the categories become right. a complete home company were we able to convince ourselves that hey if we go offline now the average ticket size the footfalls 
the conversion rate and hence the payback period would make sense right. because we never believed in the concept of having a pure experience center where with the belief that people will come touch feel and somewhere down the line purchase mm-hmm. we were a revenue focused company from day one and hence the offline stores should also act like that mm-hmm. uh, the rent to revenue ratio might must have to make sense mm-hmm. the revenue per square foot must have to make sense mm-hmm. so uh, we were always focused on that to say that this is is this is the north star metric and yeah. only then will we expand more so thankfully our 10 stores that we've launched in seven cities all of them have an amazing payback period based on the accounting that we have been able to track mm-hmm. so that gives us comfort that hey in our category maybe it's now time to double down we now have 600 700 skus going up to about 1000 plus Uh, and now it will make sense to expand our store presence and be where the consumer wants us to be right and when you're thinking about the offline experience and perhaps looking at the urban india opportunity and the middle india opportunity which a lot of people also say tier 2 tier 3 india right how do you think about that retail strategy and uh, was there a lot of internal debate in, in in terms of urban versus rural urban versus middle uh, if i were to put it that way and how is the company thinking about tapping into the next i don't know million users or half a million users that are coming in from not urban urban cities uh, or predominantly what we consider uh, high ticket paying consumers in in the country uh we've done uh, uh, we are a data driven company akash we don't we are deeply deeply uncomfortable trying to make decisions based on gut feel mm. so the 10 stores that we have done two of those stores are in malls mm-hmm. two of those stores are in smaller cities um and uh, all of the stores are in different square footage in terms of area okay so the idea of these 10 stores was to say what formats what cities what locations are making sense for us to double down from 10 to 100 so data should show us the way and very clearly even in tier 2 towns the payback period is way rapid compared to any of the traditional days mm-hmm. uh, in urban areas it is as low as 6 months mm-hmm. so and for context uh, uh, a store like burger king or mcdonalds would have a 5 year uh, payback period payback period so uh, so we are doing we, it surprised us but data showed us the way Right. that was one thing that we looked at the second thing that we looked at was how do we constantly expand the target addressable market mm. uh, so we have recently launched another brand called epic homes mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be operating at an even lower price point than wakefit mm-hmm. and hence opening up the market in tier 2 towns even more right. where it just becomes stupid for any consumer to go to the local unbranded market when they can pay another 1000 rupees or 500 rupees and get a branded product mm-hmm. with uh, customer support warranty return policy right we're just trying to open up the addressable market so much and earn the trust and work our way up the ladder in the consumer's mind that this is another strategy that we're doing and yeah. the third one is obviously to be present in marketplaces because no amount of marketing dollars by us is going to supersede what an amazon or flipkart is doing to bring fresh consumers onto their platforms yeah so retail uh, very deeply thought through and different form factors and data driven mm-hmm. second is uh, brands that are opening up the addressable market and third being 
very very focused on marketplaces although our own channel is the largest channel by far mm-hmm. one thing i love about some of the answers that you're giving is you also summarize it towards the end which is like a great takeaway for all of our listeners because i also have a newsletter that goes out where i'm able to like summarize what the guest says this is like great for everybody who is listening in to have like a tidbit towards the end that okay this is these are the top three things that uh, i need to be focusing on so i appreciate that and thank you for it but while you were talking about um, that one thing came into my mind is your learnings that you have had from urban versus rural india or urban versus middle india let's put it middle india as such so what are the similarities and differences that you have seen over the last few years that kind of makes you bullish on either one of the markets or giving you a little bit more insight on doubling down on certain versus the other our initial hypothesis was that tier 2 town customers would negotiate a lot more mm-hmm. would call us on the call centers and ask for more discounts ask for more uh, freebies and so on and so forth but that turned out to be completely incorrect okay i said a data driven company right so yeah. when we listened to those calls when we looked at the dispositions when we looked at the transcribed uh, call details what we found was that tier 2 customers were as hungry or more hungry than tier 1 customers mm-hmm. because they don't have choices that serve their pin codes right so they would be even more well researched than tier 1 customers who are more tech savvy yeah so these guys would have spent long minutes reading through every every piece of content seen through the videos on how to measure how to check the right thickness how to choose the right sofa how to select the right mattress and mm-hmm. then they would call us with pointed questions mm-hmm. they would say if i buy a mattress you have said 100 day trial in all the faqs we couldn't find out whether if our mattress has a bed sheet on top and the bed sheet's color is running off on the mattress because your mattress cover is white will you still accept it or not yeah imagine the depth of how much they have researched yeah another customer called us and said uh, i went on amazon i sifted through 10 pages of reviews ha huh. and then ensured that you guys have everything above 4.6 because you have 4 lakh reviews uh, and and i also ensured that these reviews all have detailed descriptions not one word yeah that you're not gaming the system right uh, i'm also trying to start up can you tell me how you do this wow imagine he's a tier 2 customer that yeah. much thought process has gone in yeah. so our hypothesis is very clear that the more you give content the more you use community and influencers the more you engage in vernacular yeah uh, people trust you more so right. that became the pillar of saying that you become the knowledge leader in this and people implicitly end up trusting and buying your product but you take the approach of saying hey we are educating whether you buy from us or not mm. so that became a pillar for expanding their beyond the top 8 cities because the top 8 cities are spoiled for choice uh, all companies are targeting the same 5% of india earning yeah. about a lakh a month and so on and so forth english speaking netflix watching blah blah yeah but just go beyond this that became the pillar for us Mm. and we loved it and uh, not only do we look at who's coming beyond the top 8 cities we run a survey every quarter to do a household income uh, study every month and we want to see the people who are household income 25 and 30000 monthly to grow right because that is when you are a true middle class brand that we've always wanted to be yeah we want to serve 20% of india 30% of india Hmm. that's when you become a dmart that's when you become a geo 
Yeah. Uh, we are not interested in being a small 100 crore, 200 crore brand. Yeah. And, and we want to serve the customers. We want to enable people to make and create beautiful homes at an affordable price point. Yeah, you definitely don't want to be a big fish in a small pond. Um, and I, I speak to Abhishek Goenka of RPSG Capital Ventures um, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he mentioned the very same thing. He talked about how very surprisingly, even to his um, you know experience, that middle India is much more of a research-driven consumer market. They're hungry to go out and buy these products because of the lack of availability. Everybody, every brand that comes out goes after the 5% that you talked about. But there's very few brands that are able to like have one infrastructure and two, offer that service, offer the product that actually meets the customer's expectations. And um, you resonated with, uh, with this similar thought and you, and you shared that. I know we're almost coming up on time. So I wanted to um, end this episode with a couple of um, you know takeaways that you've had that you would give yourself, you know, because I, I love how you have, you know, been sharing some of your fantastic tidbits and the learnings that you've had over the years. But if you were to look back seven and a half years ago and give advice to a younger Chaitanya who was starting Wakefit, what are a couple of things that you would tell him at that point, which would have made this journey a little bit more easier along the way? Than, than it has. And I'm sure you're very grateful for the journey that's played out. But if you had probably known this beforehand, you might have been in a little bit better position and not made some of the mistakes that you that you did. I think there's very little to change. I'm just really grateful to have assembled the right colleagues to go on this journey with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Ankit. So when I look at each of them and what they bring to the table, I don't think I'd change much. Uh, but I think as a person i would have given uh, given the advice that it's okay uh, you don't have to worry so much every single day things are going to pan out uh, in a good way over a period of time just let it compound mm-hmm. uh, the compounding machine of customer data points word of mouth four lakh reviews yeah uh, our ability to replicate it in new categories that's all gotten better and better and better every year so at that time, I they say that, right? Humans think linearly about the future. Mm-hmm. Why the future can be exponential. We limit ourselves by what we know at that point in time. Yeah. So I think I don't think I would change anything with respect to the team that I've been able to put together. The crazy things that we've done like sleep internship and wake fit trikea and yeah. crazy things. None of it because we had a blast doing it. But I think personal advice would be that, hey, it's okay. Don't worry so much. It'll work out. I think that also summarizes what a lot of founders in today's market are going through and feeling themselves. There's almost economic downturn. You see a lot of funding freezes everywhere around you. But like you said, this too shall pass. And I don't know who mentioned this quote, uh, but this always uh, sticks in my head. You always underestimate what you can do in 10 years, but you always overestimate what you can do in like a year. And that is very, that is something that you mentioned, you know, power of compounding, you know, every single day, just a little bit actually ends up adding a lot. And, um, you know, that's a great note to end this episode on. I've personally had a lot of fun, Chaitanya, like all the insights that you were able to share with us, taking us back um, memory lane from the early days of WakeFit to where you are right now. And everything that the company has done stood for is, is, is extremely 
you know, for, for me personally to like hear this story firsthand has been such a overwhelming and yet very pleasing experience. This is what I enjoy the most by speaking to founders on, on the podcast is like going like that journey. It kind of like makes you feel one inefficient and insufficient in a way because you're like, okay, I can be doing so much more and I want to be doing so much more. So it inspires people. And at the same time, you kind of like understand the the journeys that that really doesn't meet the uh, the eye when you read about stories and you think companies are overnight success. But these are the things that, you know, you discover on these conversations that kind of tell you that it's not. Like some days are, you know, very gloomy. You'd never feel like it's going to end. And there are days where, you know, little things like, you know, a, a note coming in from uh, a customer about, you know, about the, the service that you will provide their dog turns out to be a return return user. And those are stories that kind of make the journey worthwhile. So I've really had a fantastic time. Thank you so much for being on the episode. And uh, I'm looking forward to everything that Bigfit does in the next couple of years. And uh, funnily, uh, I know this and I'm sharing this with you on the episode. My mother has not changed the mattress in the last 10 years that I know. So this is definitely going to be something that I will be recommending to her, you know, shortly. So again, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Akash. Thanks. I think these questions were very, very thoughtful and made me think a lot. Uh, hopefully it'll help some founders somewhere. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of yet another brilliant episode here on the DCVC podcast. This has been a conversation filled with insights into the challenges of company building and the stories of customers that makes a startup a household name. I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it and a few highlights include anecdotes around his failed startups, quotes around valuations and deeper insights into the personality behind the founder himself. While there are 100 reasons why I find this episode to be one of the most interesting listens, well, how often do you come across a founder who ensures all of his employees receive jobs after shutting down operations? Well, that's the person that Chaitanya is and continues to be, and Wakefit continues to benefit from his leadership. I'm so glad we have founders like Chaitanya in the Indian startup ecosystem, and I'm very hopeful that this story inspires many, many founders who are going out to build companies either today or sometime in the future. Thank you again, Chaitanya, for being on the DCVC podcast. And if you're like me and you enjoyed this episode and every other episode that we've been bringing you so far, please go ahead and rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. It helps others discover the show and also keeps you updated about all of our future releases. Tune back in again next week because we've got another fantastic guest who's going to talk a lot more about investing in the country. So until then, stay safe everybody and continue to keep hustling.